The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello and welcome into another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgad with you here. And we are inside the Beacon Public House at the Graduate Hotel Minneapolis for our special big game edition of the Purple Podcast. And we are extremely excited to be joined by former Vikings Doug Sutherland and Ricky Young. Guys, glad to have you here. Well, it's great to be here. It's uh, Super Bowl time and uh, I wish our guys were here, but... uh, uh, I had the honor of playing in three of them uh, and never won one, but uh, we tried. We got there. Oh, yes. Glad to be here. Uh, I'm excited. I got a couple of friends of mine that, that are coming to town now, and one of them I went to kindergarten with, Robert Brazil, is, is uh, one of the finalists for the Get in the Hall of Fame. So this should be an exciting weekend. I'm hoping that he gets in. And, uh, we'll have a good time. Well, let me start by talking to you guys about having the Super Bowl here and uh, the second time ever it's been in our Twin Cities here. And just from being around this week, what have been uh, your observations? Are you guys making a lot of appearances, signing a lot of autographs? And how do you think that the Twin Cities handles it? And just please do not bring up the weather. Outside of the weather, how do you think that, that it works out for the Twin Cities to have the Super Bowl? Well, I, I think they do an excellent job. I was here at the one who Buffalo played in uh, and uh, lost again, too. Uh, but uh, I'm from exciting. Buffalo, Ricky. Please I'm don't just, bring that just up. Just the facts. Just the facts. I, hope, I would like them all at once because I'm sure that's a tough deal. I didn't make it, but I'm sure Doug's got some good stories about that. But the, the excitement is... is uh, I've been in L.A. and Florida, and I think the excitement is, is, is just as high here, the expectations of a great game, and the stadium is looking really good. What a gym that is, man. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful that it'll pull it off. They'll probably have it back again. So, Doug, you played in Super Bowls, uh, the three in 74, 75, and 77. When you see this event now in town and the stadium and the magnitude of the fact that, that half the events are, are at the mall in Bloomington, where, by the way, you played your home games for quite some time, uh, and then you've got the convention center downtown packed. I mean, how, how hard is this to grasp that this is the same event? Because I, I would take it in uh, 74 or, or 75, it was a big deal, but nothing like this magnitude. No, it was definitely it was it was the ultimate in football, and uh, my granddaughter was uh, looking through some stuff and found some old tickets, and they were fifteen dollars a piece. <laughs> and seventy uh, uh, six uh, was a, played in the seventy seven season uh, out in the Rose Bowl. They were twenty dollars. You know, the, we had press every day, but it, it's not like it is now. Uh, it's uh, it's it turned into unbelievable. I mean, you know, three, three, four, up to a hundred thousand dollars for tickets and boxes, and it's a lot of money. It, it's it's amazing what it's come to, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. The state of Minnesota is doing a great job. The new stadium. I guess all we got to do is build a new stadium and get a Super Bowl. But billion dollars, of course. <laughs> what was the year uh, that I saw that, that you guys? Uh, got to the Super Bowl and found out that you were practicing on, I think, a high school field, and that Bud got mad because there were sparrows in your locker room. I mean, this is this 
if you told a kid now, they'd be like, "Super, you're crazy." Oh yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was actually down in Houston, and and you know we had a we had the hotel was the one place, and and the locker room was one place else, and then we had a had practice. <laughs> And it, it was uh, it was definitely bush league. <laughs> so, not just the uh, pomp and circumstance around the Super Bowl, but also the game as well. Now, I'm a anybody who listens to our Purple Podcast knows that I'm a junkie for going back and watching old games and things like that. So I was hooked on the NFL Films Marathon the other night, and I saw you show up in one of the Super Bowls, Doug uh, sacking somebody or tackling somebody. Uh, but the, the game on the field, I mean, it seems like everyone talks about how it's a passing league, yet we have the Philadelphia Eagles here who won their game in the trenches. How much different do you guys think the actual game is on the field when it comes to the Super Bowl, just the league in general? Well, I, I got to tell you, not to God's truth, Bud Grant always said that yeah, you win championship with defense, offenses with show. That's pretty close to the truth. But, I mean, if you control the line of scrimmage, offensive – and defensive line of scrimmage, you're always going to be right there to win a football game. That, that's the big. Another thing, nobody practices special teams anymore. That always can help you out a lot too. But they don't do that anymore. And that's just, I don't know why they don't run the ball anymore. Yeah, you know the the guys are bigger and uh, maybe stronger, but uh, you know they get hurt all the time. We never got hurt. You know, did you? I, mean, I remember one time. I was reading my name off the back of my jersey on a goal line play, my, and my head was tucked up underneath my arm, and and I laid there for a second. And Zambaletti, the trainer, never even come out. He goes, well, "He says I knew you weren't hurt." I go, "Geez, you run out for everybody else, but but they get hurt because they're so big and strong, and they lift so many weights that they're like piano wires. As soon as they get hit." I mean, you get calf muscles, you get bicep muscles, and uh, it's unbelievable. You know, knee surgeries. You know, we had guys that, of course, we played hurt, you know. I mean, I was a 14th-round draft choice out of a Division three school. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't afford to get hurt. So, I mean, as long as the bone wasn't sticking out, I'm okay. Uh, Ricky, uh, you were one of the first running backs to put up crazy good catch numbers out of the backfield and it, it seems like i watched tom brady and he's the greatest quarterback ever and he makes incredible throws down the field but he also is one of the guys that utilizes his running backs into the short passing game uh, what was it were you rare for that day when you played as the guy who caught so many passes out of the backfield as a running back well i, I tell you what it's like it's like when you get a running back on the linebacker it's 90 percent of the chance you should be it should be in positive yards as jerry burns used to say it all the time says we're going to go out on first down we throw that ball you catch it and we get five yards it's a lot easier from third and four third and five third and three to do what we want to do. He says, and you're right, Brady does throw his backs a lot. They always got a guy that gets the ball out of the back. And it's just, it's easy. You know, we thought throwing the ball to McKinnon a little bit here, too. But, you know, it's like easy. I said if AP could catch the ball out of the back, he'd had another 5,000 yards on this rustling. So it's, it's, it's kind of easy out there. So clear the, this up because I think for years and years we've always heard that the inventor of the West Coast was Bill Walsh. No. Bur- I watched you guys play. Bernsey was running the those schemes before Bill Walsh got that job, and you were were sort of the the precursor as the player yeah. to, to that entire thing, catching passes out of the backfield, Ricky. Yeah, yeah that, we. I, as, as, after you say that, I thought about it. Bill Walsh was my offensive coordinator when I was in San Diego, and we 
didn't do half the things that Jerry did when we when I got here. So it was uh, it was a, a good surprise. So you know, he just figured I'm gonna do this, get positive yards, and says we might not get rich, but we're gonna go broke. We're gonna take the profit and go from there. So we threw the ball a lot. You got to watch it. You said uh, what Birdsey used to say. Uh, there's not much that Birdsey said that no. you can repeat. <laughs> Matthew Collar, Judd Zolgad here. We're recording the Purple Podcast live with our guests Doug Sutherland and Ricky Young inside the, the Beacon uh, Public House at the Graduate Hotel. Uh, I want to know because I'm just so fascinated by the NFL before I was around in the early days of me growing up and, and watching and. Some of the players from, from back in the day, I am just blown away by. It seemed like there was a time where they just got gigantic and like they look now. And that, to me, came with the Pittsburgh Steelers and that steel curtain defense. What were they like to play against? Or who was the, the guys back in the day when you guys played who, when you went against, you said, geez, these, are, these guys are just as good as us, or I don't want to play against this guy? I would say Andy Russell. He was a weak side linebacker. He kind of mirrored me all the time out of the backfield. The first game I ever played in was against the Steelers. That was in 75 after they won the Super Bowl. Meet you guys in New Orleans. And one of my friends was over there. We were all rookies on my team. We had like 12 draft picks in. I think eight of us made the team. So we had a couple of offensive linemen. I remember this guy, Fred Dean, who's in the Hall of Fame. And he says, Ricky, he goes, I'm going to go over and tell Joe Green what you were saying about his mom. And I said, don't be messing with me. <laughs> yeah, that was tough, man. You never knew when you got past the, the defensive linemen, the linebackers, and the defensive backs all tackled. That was, they tackled everybody that moved back then. So it was, it was the way football was meant to be. If you're on defense, you got to tackle. A lot of the defensive backs don't like to tackle anymore. Yeah, I tell you that, what. That Miami offensive line from way back when, they had to be tough. Oh, yeah. Get, uh, uh, they were unbelievable. Uh, you know, Jim Langer, uh, you know, he came to the Vikings. I mean, he was impossible to get past. I tricked him one time. I faked the twist on him. <laughs> and he goes, wow, you ever use that in a game? I go, yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time I did it, uh, we were playing the Jets and uh, – <laughs> And I did it, and the guy ran all like, and I started laughing all the way back to the quarterback when I sacked him because he, he just ran himself out of the field. But, but I, you know, they say, oh, everybody's, oh, they're way bigger now. Bigger baloney. I played against Bob Young, who was in the World's Strongest Human Contest. I mean, he's 320. Angelo Field was the tackle. He was six foot nine, 340 pounds. Pete Wilson's a 245-pound fullback that lead through, and Earl Campbell come running, you know. So I, those are some monsters. Earl you know? Campbell was I, – I still recall that I think it was Monday Night Football in 78, I want to say Dolphins, Oilers in, in the Astrodome. That's one of the most physical, awesome performances I've seen in my life. He was carrying men with him, and I don't mean one or two guys. I mean an entire pack of people. It was incredible to watch. That was that was amazing. Uh, that was almost an incredible the way he ran over those guys, around them, through them. Yeah, he, that was one game to watch. That was a great game to watch. So when when you guys watch games now, uh, give me one or two things that you like about the game now that that might not have existed when you played, and give me a couple things that you don't like as much that you feel was a better element to the game in your day. Well, I'll start with what I don't like. <laughs> Bud must have a, <laughs> a nervous breakdown every time he watches a game. Oh. I mean, 
they're a team full of individuals. I mean, they make a play 15 yards down the field, and they run around the field like they're crazy. And they're, and they're doing these crazy things. I, I hear some guy uh, from uh, Philadelphia is going to wear a wrestler's mask. Like, hey, look at me. You know, let's play the football game. You know, I, I, I get, you know, in the long hair is one thing. You know, I mean, Bud... I mean, we couldn't even let our mustaches grow too far, or the sideburns were had to be such. And if, it, if it stuck out of your helmet, you better be. Uh, and he always got into the to the, uh, the elevator first, you know. So you had to face the front, and then Bud, you knew Bud was behind you, and you go, Sutherland, looks like you need a haircut. Say, yeah, coach, I got one Monday coming up. I, well, if I didn't before, I do now. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it's different. You know, the players are different, and it looks more like professional wrestling sometimes. Yeah. Well, I, I would say what I would like to, uh, the most now is they only have training camp for eight days. You can only tackle two days uh, of training camp. And then, you know, I could have played another eight years. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's changed quite a bit. And uh, like Doug was saying, I mean, I do hate some of the individuality that these guys bring to the game. Some guys behind by... 30 points, he gets a sack on Brady and jumps up from Chicago and tears his knee up. And the guy looked at him on the ground like, he said, did you check the score out up there? <laughs> like, it, it wasn't worth it. Yeah, they celebrate everything. And it's like, and it, it's the defensive back screaming, yelling, and knocking the ball down. That's your job. They pay you for it. The next play, the guy goes for 70 yards over his head and walking with his head down. But you say, don't wake up a sleeping dog. If the guy you got to beat, help him up, talk, keep talking to him, like you know him, pat him on the back, don't make him mad. Because <laughs> he can play too. Well, I, I'll tell you what I like. You guys can tell me what you like about the modern game. But when I watch the NFL films and I watch old games, even though the game has changed a lot, and the players and they're being in shape, and now they have analytics on guys' heart rates. So it's a little bit different than it might have been back in the day. But I like that a lot of the same concepts that you used to see, play action still works, right? I mean, a lot of the these concepts have evolved, but at the same time, the same things still win. So really, you're watching the same game that we've all grown up with, just with some different tweaks and innovations. Well, Jay, the biggest thing is the paychecks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my my yeah, rookie season, is. I made $12,000. <laughs> if you're late for a meeting, it was a $1,000 fine. Yeah, you, so, you broke it. I mean, really? <laughs> $1,000? You know, I mean, they spill more than that. I mean, it, the minimum salary is, what, a half a million dollars? I mean, our whole team didn't make a million, I don't think. <laughs> so it, 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 it's a lot easier. They don't have to play 13 years like I did. Uh, you know, uh, they can get in and get out. Oh, yeah. Well, I'd say three years, this first contract, and I'd retire. Three years or four years, and I'd be done. But uh, the, the game has changed so drastically. I mean, like you said, the, the size of the, I don't think they rest the bodies enough. They all, right after the season, they start with the TOAs. They got an AOA and TOA, and they don't, these guys, don't have, the body don't have a chance to shut down and rehab itself, I don't think. That's why you get a, a lot of injuries in preseason now. It's like the first... Five, first three or four preseason game, everybody's out. You know, they get hurt with muscle pulls and the biceps, triceps, and they don't loosen up. When I was in college, me and Walter Payton, we used to have a roommate in college. Our coach made us take gymnastic dancing and stuff so you can learn how to stretch and handle your body and stuff. It's like, I kind of thought it was stupid then, but it, it paid off in the long run. Training camps now are nuts, too. I mean, you, you go down to training camp, and, and they have X amount of days before they can be in full pads, and then once they're in full pads... 
It's not a lot. And, oh, and just one hit slap. That's my theory on, on why at the beginning of the season, games are always so lousy for about a month because guys haven't tackled. They haven't hit, yeah. Uh, my analogy is, you ever seen a professional boxer that goes and just shadow boxes and then walks into the room for a big fight? <laughs> One hit and he's out cold. You know, I mean, you got to get you get used to getting hit. I mean, it sounds awful. You know, not in the head. I mean, otherwise they turn out like me. But uh, <laughs> you got to get in, in hitting shape and the timing, and you got to do it full speed. You can't rush a passer and and, and say, steps. okay, I think I'm going to do this and this and this. And, and uh, you know, you can't think about it. you got to do it and see how it works. And try this, try that. And, you know, you get knocked on your butt once in a while, but that's how you learn. But you got to get in hitting shape. Otherwise, of course, they only play one or two plays now. You know, I mean, we, special, we, played, yeah. we played the whole game as a defensive lineman. You know, it, it was – all day long. Yeah. We used to go to practice training camp. The first day, we put the ball on the five-yard line, and Bud would tell the defense what play we're going to run. said, we're getting in zone. If you don't, you have to stay and run after practice. <laughs> That's what we did every day, first day. And we were there for 30 days. When you left training camp, you were on the team. So <laughs> it's so the difference. Me, I, I want to ask you guys about the current team and about the Super Bowl, even though our fans are still not over it. Uh, of the Purple Podcast. I know anytime we've brought up anything about this year's game, uh, people have sent us messages saying, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about those Eagles. But I want to ask you both, just the the thing that you're most proud of, of being a former Viking and a former NFL player, when you think back to when you played, what is it that you were the most fond of? I think that the the, the coach that they have now reminds me a lot of Bud. I mean, he's no-nonsense. He ain't going to get on you all the time, but you better be willing to do your job, you know. And he's like, uh, he's, he's a good guy to work for, and you gotta, I, I like the way his approach, the way he handles his guys, and uh, he gets them in a position to win every game, and that's all you can ask, you know. The coach, don't have me down 12 points like Les Stuckle just being on the field with somebody that don't know what they're doing, you know, nervous. And uh, this guy gives them a chance to win every game. I was, really thought they had a great year this year, 13 games. What did we win the year before? Yeah, Seven. you know, it was, uh, it, Bud was a great coach. Uh, it, there's no getting, getting down about that, you know. And, uh, but uh, Zimmer is, I got a lot of respect for Zimmer, I, and I think all the players do too. You know, this last game is the worst game they played all year. And when I played one year, we, were, we hadn't lost a game. We go to Cincinnati, who hadn't, they were terrible. We got our butt kicked. And it wasn't for a lack of effort. You know, you tried twice as hard. You know, it just, the wheels fall off. And, you know, you can't blame the coaches. Sometimes you can. Sometimes you blame the players. But, you know, it wasn't for a lack of effort. I mean, look what our guys did in the Pro Bowl. We damn near won it all by ourselves. <laughs> you know? Scored 14 points. Yeah. <laughs> well, didn't uh, the tight end, didn't he score a touchdown too? I thought it was Thielen and Smith returned uh, interception for a touchdown, and the tight end caught like eight passes. Yeah, okay. He had a pretty good day too. Yeah, great day. You know, I mean, we got we got the horses, and uh, you know, what a what a miracle to bring Case Keenan in, in here from yeah. L.A. You know, I mean, Teddy, Teddy's one of the nicest guys you'll ever want to meet, and I hope Teddy 
you know, we'll we'll find out what's going to happen with Teddy and, and, and Bridgewater and uh, and you know see what's going to happen. You know, it, it's not going to be pretty. Somebody has to go. We can't keep all three of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're all excellent uh, quarterbacks. So when Case gets that pressure and he starts to scramble around, how much do, does that look like Tarkington to you guys? A lot. He can. He was like a magician right there. He just, just manipulated the pocket quite a bit, and uh, you know he always came up with a big throw. And uh, I, I just I love the way he played. He was like he was the guy that was not gonna lose. You know, it's gonna be on my back. I'm gonna do everything I can to win this game, and he did. He played, had a great year, and I, I like him. I hope we can keep him. Yeah, well, Case, I tell you what, he's the difference between him and Tarkin. Tarkin used to spin out and run around and to spin out again and run over here. Case had that, that sense of all I got to do is take a step here. You know, it was like magic. He would step out of the way and find a receiver and throw him the ball. You know, he's, he was very cool in the pocket. Uh, it, there was an awareness of where everybody was. And not always. <laughs> Sometimes, they, you know, you do get a blind spot. But uh, excellent quarterback. Recording the uh, Purple Podcast here, Matthew Collar, Judd Zolgad, inside the Beacon Public House at the Graduate Hotel, Minneapolis. Doug Sutherland and Ricky Young are our guests. The general direction of the team, I mean, it seems like it's just been on an upward trajectory with a bump in the road mixed in with Teddy Bridgewater's injury under Mike Zimmer. But this team... It, it's amazing how through the years has just been relevant all the way through and the way they've built it back up under Zimmer, it looks like a team that is set up to compete for a long time. It really does. I think he's got a lot of pieces. I mean, to, to lose a running back who would have probably been maybe made the Pro Bowl this year, he was leading the league in rushing to go down and they just kept plugging people in and that, that's a tribute to your coach. You know, he just he wouldn't let him say, I, we give now, you know. Everybody has energy. We're going to keep playing. And we're going to win some games. And I mean, with the offensive line, I told somebody, like, at the beginning of the year, they could win 13, 14 games if they, the offensive line would hold up and, and play. Because they had the talent there, you know. So I, I think he's done a good job. I wish that Case could have came here before we gave up all our draft choices for our other quarterback. But, hey, things happen. <laughs> well, I tell you what, the biggest thing this year is, I mean, it was uh, the offensive line last year uh, – they lost 12 different offensive linemen. Now, how do you come back with a team? I mean, the guys we got, you know, we even lost a couple guys this year, but the team that they put together, offensive line, they're not easy. They're not easy to find. You know, they're, and, and, and they did an excellent job. And they, some people moved around playing different positions. And uh, for the most part, they, they kept the quarterback relatively clean. You know, better than they did last year. Last year, it's a wow. The I kid, mean, everybody was hurt. It was like, can it? You know, raise your hand if you want to play offense. You know, <laughs> that's what it seemed like. But I like the kid that they drafted from Ohio State. The sin, I think, he made the whole solidify that whole deal. He was really going to be good if he don't get hurt, man. He's got he's got all the attributes to be a good player. He's a little mean sometimes, a little nasty. But he's out there, he's looking to block somebody all the time. That's what I like about it. Kid's going to be good. Well, it seems to me from your comments just there that you guys pay really close attention still to everything that's going on. When you watch games, 
Are you the types that break down things like, oh, that guy should have done this or that, or are you yell at the TV guys, or what are you like when you were watching the Vikings? I, heard, I, I watch it, but I'm always getting up doing something. When I get to crunch time, I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like the last play, we're at the game. At the, uh, I, I usually try to leave and go home and watch the last of the game because I live about – it takes me about 10 minutes to get home from the stadium. So I usually leave. My nephew was with me, and he says, no, we can't leave, Uncle Rick. We're going to stay and watch the game. And otherwise, I would probably miss that play when they caught the ball back. I mean, I don't leave because they're behind. They, they went up when I was thinking about leaving. They were up, I don't know, 21, 22 to what? They were leading with three points, 23 to 21. I said, okay, let's get home. I can watch it. The defense is not going to let them score again. And I'm sitting there in the catch. I'm like, oh, man. And Moose started to charge. Carl Ellis started cheering in the, in the uh, suite. And I said, I got to walk around. So I'm walking down the hallway. And by the time I walked out, I was just going to watch the last part of it. And I got back. It's like I'm looking at the catch. And people's running out of the suite screaming and yelling. I'm like, what the heck did I miss? <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to stay for the guys because they had a great year. And, and so you I'm, missed it. You didn't see I, it. I, I've seen it a hundred times. It's so beautiful, man. I tell you, it's the best thing I've ever seen in my life. One of the best. Yeah, I did. I missed it. I walked out of the hallway. Did you, did you catch it, Doug? <laughs> yeah, I caught it. it, it was, uh, I, but I was thinking, I was thinking, no way in hell are we going to win this game. I mean, oh. it's, it's, it's just not going to happen. I mean, they're, they're, they got to go all the way. They don't have enough, they don't have enough time, and they don't have no timeouts. Yep. They, and then there's oh. an off, you know, the offside. You know, let's make it a little tougher on ourselves. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, I guess uh, I, I was a part of, a, you know, I, I, obviously I was part of the Hail Mary pass. And, and, uh, but that was, uh, that was my rookie season. Tom Dempsey kicked the 63-yard field goal at the end. The Detroit Lions were laughing at him. They that was your rookie even, year? That was my oh, rookie wow, season. Okay. I, yeah. I, I carried uh, Dempsey off the field. He, he weighs 275 pounds. That's a, a big kicker. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it can happen, you know. It's uh, if it's physically possible, it can happen. What's that feeling like to uh, to go back to the uh, Rashad catch against Cleveland? What's the feeling like on the field when a play like that goes right? Because I mean, one, it's just so rare, and two, your expectation can't be, oh, this is going to work. Your expectation has to be. Okay, we're going to take a shot here, and then what? The ball got tipped up in that case by the Cleveland defender and bounced around, and Rashad caught it in the front corner of the end zone at the Met. Yeah, well, that's that's it's, that's when you play in the ultimate team sport. I tell you, there is no feeling like that. You really can't describe it when you go through all of the aches and pains and the stuff together, and you come up with a play like that. It's it's, it's just so amazing, like the catch that uh, Diggs made. I'm telling you, I. I couldn't imagine what the heck. I couldn't imagine what it'd be, what you feel like on a play like that. It was a, it was a best, one of the best plays I've ever seen in my life, just for the time and just the sheer minute. It's just unbelievable. That was so incredible. Well, I remember going to the first, the first Super Bowl against my, uh, Miami. I was a backup to Gary Larson and uh, started the next year. But I remember Bobby Bryant intercepting a pass and running him back for a touchdown with a few – seconds to go in the game and we were going to the Super Bowl. So a very very similar feeling. Yeah, put them on ice. Uh, we're recording the Purple Podcast if you're just joining. That's uh, Matthew Collar, Judd Zolgad. We do the podcast 
every week, and uh, today we're doing it inside the Beacon Public House at the Graduate Hotel Minneapolis. Doug Sutherland and Ricky Young are our guests. We're very happy to be having this conversation. So just with the with this team, they go to Philadelphia. It doesn't work out how they hope to. Case doesn't play very well. Maybe doesn't leave the best taste in the mouth of the Vikings in terms of going into the offseason, but you've got a team that's coming back really well set up for whoever the next quarterback is going to be. Who would you guys want it to be, the next quarterback? Do you want Teddy Bridgewater to come back? Do you want Case to come back? Do you want them to sign Kirk Cousins? And how do you make that decision? Because it seems like that decision is going to shape the next couple of years of this organization. Yeah, that's tough. And you got, that's one of the things. You don't get many shots at that. So you got to make sure you make the right choices. Like the guy you let go could go somewhere else and be all pro for the next five or six years. So it's a, it's a tough call to make. But, hey, um, I, I, I got to go with the, the guy that, that, that played well. I mean, I try to keep them both and let them play and see who's going to be the quarterback. You know, I, I wouldn't make a, a choice right now. But, I mean, if I was going to make one, I think cases deserve that. He's deserving of you know, saying there's a starting quarterback, we'll give everybody a shot at it. You know, go to training camp with open mind. But it, it, it's, it's a tough call, man. That is so tough. It's just not like a lineman, a, a running back, you pick and choose. It's like, you know what, you got one and he's working, you better keep him and hold on to him tight, man. You know, I mean, I think, uh, you know, the, the biggest thing is uh, you got Bradford's got a bad, bad knee. I, I mean, he was fantastic. I mean, he filled in great, great kid. The first overall pick. You got Teddy, who is the greatest kid in the world. You know, in Case Keenum, I, I'm glad I don't have to make that decision. You know, you got you got uh, you know Teddy and uh, Bradford with with injury problems. Case, he's 100. percent You know, I, it, it, what plays into it? I don't know. Uh, money? Uh, I don't think that has. You, you go with a guy who's uh, has got the, the the most credentials, and uh, boy, I wouldn't want to make that decision. Okay, Doug, as a guy who played on some very good defenses back in the day, let's throw out the Philadelphia game for a second now. Where did the 2017 Vikings defense rank all time to you? Because there was talk that it, it might have been the greatest of all time, but that's going up against defenses that you played for that had a lot of really good players. Yeah, we had a lot of great players, and and at the time, I I looked at us physically, and I, I said, I don't see us. We're not a. We, we were. <laughs> we dominated people physically, but if if you looked at us, the, you know, our, our linebackers and the safeties, and and you know, we weren't the biggest team on the, but we played well together. That was the whole thing. I mean, we were a team. And that's the way Bud wanted it, and that's the way we played. And we we didn't play other people's position, uh, you know. And <laughs> I remember that one of the first games I ever came into, and I thought, hey, come on, guys, let's go. And they said, shut up and play defense, you know. <laughs> we don't need any cheerleaders out here. They're on the sideline, though. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, the whole thing was, you know, I mean, yeah, we congratulated each other, you know. Somebody made a good play, but uh, uh, you know this team today. I mean, they got four good offensive linemen, great offensive linemen. The linebackers are yeah, unbelievable, and uh, Smith at safety. I mean, <laughs> the, the the whole the whole defense is is unbelievable. Yep. 
What do you think, Ricky? Well, yeah, I, I, the, the, the defensive backs, I remember watching the first year that uh, Smith played, and I, we were doing a snowmobile thing up at uh, Malax, and I told him, I said, if you stay here for five years, if you play for seven, eight years, you'll be in the Hall of Fame. That kid can flat out play, man, I'm telling you. And the, the other kid over on the other side, uh, he's really, really good, too. I, 26 is good, but I just... Sometimes I watch him when they blitz, and he let those guys inside of him, and I don't think that's the design of the play. That's the quickest way to break up a blitz is to let you guy inside. So if he can get a little bit more aggressive and come to the line of scrimmage and make those guys earn a catch, I, I would say they probably would be up there as probably one of the great defensive backfields the Vikings have had. Because, you know, I, uh, uh, the kid number from UCLA, he, just make, he makes every tackle on the field, I think. He's always around the ball, and Barnes had a, a pretty good year now. Not like he did his rookie year, but... Uh, and uh, the other kid, what was the other kid they got? Somebody got hurt. Kid from Ohio, number 42. Outside, oh, plays yeah, linebacker from, quite a bit. Uh, yeah. And yeah. he had a good he had a good year, a good yeah. solid year. And, yeah. I, uh, and the defensive line is probably one of the best in the league, I think, if not the best. So that's it. That's how you win games, and that's what they did. They just physically beat people up. Warm out, warm down. And they didn't do a lot against Philadelphia this year. And I don't know if they were just out of gas, man. They could have been out of gas. It's just like, and you always have a game like that. I don't oh, yeah. care how yeah, good you are. And it's too bad it happened when it did. You know, you know, one of the strongest guys we got on the team is that Linville Joseph. I mean, he's Man Mountain Dean. I mean, you can't move him to, you know, and everybody says he's the strongest guy they've ever played against or, or you know, they've seen. He is just the. How do you let a guy like that go? You know, where did he come from? The New York Giants. Yeah, that's where he came from. How do you let him go? <laughs> Mismanagement. Yeah, that's yeah. how you let him go. Well, and they won the Super Bowl with him based on their defensive line, right? Yeah. So it it was surprising that they let him go. So now for you guys, your, your trained eyes, help us all out because Judd and I we've tried. I've looked at the game tape, tried to figure out what happened in Philadelphia. But I'm still not 100% sure. So tell me what your theory is about why the Vikings could not play the way everyone expected them to in Philadelphia. Like I said earlier, the defensive line didn't have a really good game. I mean, they were close on a couple of sacks. I thought, I thought we lined up in blister kit. He's played, what, three games? I, we didn't. We kind of, like I said, in 26 play back. And you start giving the guy confidence. You just lay back off the guys and, you, and give them eight, ten-yard passes. Man, he gets confident. And that's what I think a lot of it happened he got a little bit of confidence, and uh, we tried had to make some big plays to try to make something happen. And that one play, when the guy, the linebacker came around and hit Case, and they got that free touchdown, that kills you. You know, you up seven nothing, and you just give them, you know, a defensive touchdown. That just takes a lot of energy. That saps the offense, you know. But uh, I, I, after that, I thought we just kind of like, well, we didn't do a lot on offense after that. So uh, that play hurt us a lot. You know, even would have gotten a lot of bounce, even I think we would have played a better game. It's only a couple of plays that makes a difference from being a close game to a blowout, and that was that hurt him. What do you think, Doug? Doug? Well, I tell you what, it, it was. <laughs> I'm sure the coaches are thinking the same thing. What happened? I, I, it was not a lack of effort, uh, you know. So it was. I don't. I don't know what happened. We we had games when I played that you know everything went wrong, you know, <laughs> and. And everybody, they made the right choice uh, on offense, uh, you know, against us. Uh, you know, nine times out of ten, we'd stop them. But, you know, it, it, 
I don't have any explanation for it, and I'm sure the coaches would love to know uh, because it, it was a shocker. It was such a shock. I mean, 38 points on our team, you know, well, 31. The offense gave up seven. But that's a lot of points for us. Just a real quick want to let our listeners know that this is the Purple Podcast Big Game Edition that we've been promoting for quite some time on the Purple Podcast here with Doug Sutherland and Ricky Young. And we just want to thank Sprint for their partnership with this special edition podcast. You can learn how you can get Sprint's incredible unlimited plan that includes Hulu. Just visit a local Sprint store today. Sprint, it works for me. Here's my thing with it this year, too, though. It, it frustrates me, especially in this sport, when, when fans assume a window of opportunity has opened and it's going to stay open for, let's say, four or five years. I think in football, because it's so unpredictable and because guys can get hurt and because things can, can go wrong. I mean, the 2016 Vikings, to me, are, are the perfect example. 5-0, and oh, right? Yeah. They're looking fantastic. And then you get guys hurt and things go wrong and, and it falls apart. So I would think what has to be frustrating to the team about this year is this was a special year. Defensively, for the most part, really good health. Yes. Keenum comes in, and it's a, a miracle. I mean, he plays great. So I think there's this assumption now, oh, the Vikings are going to be good for three or four more years. And they might be. But my point is, in your sport, <laughs> that's a dangerous assumption because I'm sure both you guys – Started years where the Vikings or Chargers, in your case, Ricky, were in great shape. Yeah. And then things start to snowball and go wrong. And all of a sudden, that special year becomes very average or disappointing. Oh, well, you look at Green Bay. I mean, you know, they, they were picked to win the division. I'm going to take a couple of key injuries at, at bad times. And like with Philadelphia, they were lucky that they got, they got through the, having a great year with their quarterback before he was hurt, like, what, the 11th or 12th game of the year. If that would have happened, fifth or sixth game of the year, they probably wouldn't have been in the playoffs even. So... You gotta have some luck, and uh, and and just hope you can keep plugging people in. It's like that's where you gotta have good backup people. Not a lot of people have it in a moment. You gotta have some good people that step up off the bench and come in and play. Well, I tell you what, if you if you you count one year against the next, look at the 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 year the Panthers put on this year. I mean, they were one of the yeah. worst teams in the league, and they made it to the playoffs and came real close to to winning. You know, so it's. Uh, you know, never count anybody down. You know, there, there's a lot of good players out there, and uh, you got to have their breaks, you know, and, uh, you know, stupid penalties and stuff like that can cost you a game. So it, there's a lot going on, a lot of moving parts. Yes, yeah. it is. So let me ask you about this year's Super Bowl, and uh, please, if you are still upset about the Vikings losing, let it go, let it go. Move on, and you can listen to conversation about this year's Super Bowl. Um, Tom Brady is going to go up against a great defense here, but he's still Tom Brady, right? I mean, so even if his supporting cast isn't as good as the roster of the Eagles, we've seen him do it before. He's just one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Which way are you guys leaning for this game? Well, I'm, I'm a, a big hater of Philadelphia. I don't like Philadelphia. <laughs> I've been back there playing a couple of times. Their fans are pretty rough, so I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not a 
real big uh, avid of the uh, Patriots either, so I'm hoping that they'll tie and maybe they'll somebody kick a field goal and win it with two seconds left, and hopefully it's the Patriots. I'm not a big Philadelphia guy, I'll tell you. I don't, and, and I think Brady, they'll, they'll have some, something new for those guys, too. Like I, they've got some crafty blitzes, and they're going to get at him early and make him make, the play, make a play to beat him. They ain't going to let somebody else beat him. So I, that's what I think. I'm thinking uh, the Patriots, 28 or 20 or something like that. Well, I tell you, I, <laughs> I can't go against Brady. I, you know, there's a lot of people that don't like him because he's so successful. What's wrong with that? You know, I, I, I mean, the same problem. I mean, no, no, look I'm at Tiger here. Woods. Everybody cheered for Tiger Woods. Jealousy, Everybody come on. Everybody cheers for Muhammad yeah. Ali when he was <laughs> – Bradshaw I – mean, Brady is uh, – I mean, he's um, – look what he did last year. What were they down, 24 points? Yep, uh, 25, 28 to 3 was the score yeah. at the time, and then he brought Unbelievable. him back. Unbelievable, and he brought him all the way back. <laughs> I mean, Atlanta's got to be going, what the? I think they were spending their game checks already, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and they just they just got whooped. And Tom wants to play till what, the age of 45? Have I seen that? I think he's saying now. I mean, you think about that. When Favre played here in 2010 at 40, 41, I believe, we all thought this is remarkable, incredible. I mean, this guy wants to play at a Super Bowl-level quarterback in this league, best league in the world, until 45. And a year ago, I thought to myself, I don't think it's possible. But after seeing him this year, I'm not so sure I'm right. You know what? I like and being able to do some of two different things. I'd like to have a big bag of $100 bills and a fast horse out back, too. <laughs> I don't think he'll play to 45. I, I mean, he might get a couple of more years in, but I, I, that's going to be most, I think. I just... It's, yeah, it's not. It's not like he needs the money. I think his wife makes more than he does. Yeah, and and he need to bring truck to bring his paycheck home. So, you know. Yeah. But the guy's a miracle man. But he takes great care of his body and his mind, and he's he's uh, he's Mister Clean. You know. I mean, how could you not like this guy? I, you know, I got nothing against Philadelphia except they beat the Vikings. But I gotta uh, tell you, but what? I mean, the Viking, the pack. Uh, the Philadelphia fans throwing beers and stuff at our at our fans. I, I didn't appreciate that. You know, we're in your hometown. I know Minnesota is going to be Minnesota nice. You know, they they treat people the right way. And and uh, uh, you know, of course, the old Lombardi uh, adage: uh, "Show me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser." You know, <laughs> but <laughs> I uh, you know, I used to be a Packer fan when I was a little kid. And when until the Vikings came into the league, so. Nice. <laughs> but uh, how does you know. Brady compare to some of the quarterbacks you played against, you played with, or that you saw on the, on the other teams? I mean, well, I, there were you guys played during an era of some really great quarterbacks. Yes, too. it was it was a quarterback driven league back then too. I thought Montana was the best for the money I had, but I played with Dan Fouts, and I tell you what, he could throw that ball through a Cheerio. He was good, man. He was he could really throw the ball. And we threw it a lot. But uh, I, Brady is, is proving everybody that he is the best to play. I, I got to give him his dues. I'm not going to hate him, but I just I don't sound like the Patriots that much, the team itself. It's city more than the team. But, uh, and, uh, you know, you go back to the older days when you had uh, Bart Stardust. I love the quarterbacks. They used to call their own plays. Francis Tarkin used to draw plays up on the ground sometimes. We were playing in Oakland. I never forget it. I said, forget that stuff that Bernie told you to do. We're going to do this, Ricky. That's what we're going to do. You set that guy up, we're going to come back over there and run that out and up on him. If he's not paying attention to you, just keep doing it. And I'll come back to him. 
So I, I, I like that part of the game when they play like that. And as a rookie, I used to have, my job was to go get the veterans, sneak out of my room to go pick them up the day before the game. That was my job. <laughs> Fouls at a couple of those guys. I had to go pick them up when they was having a beer after hours, so I had to go pick them up. But they played every game, never missed a down, and they were practicing stuff. They just liked to have fun. So the coach kind of left them alone, and that was kind of, you, you do what you do, but don't get in no trouble, don't cost the team anything. So, yeah. How about you, Doug? Was there one that used to drive you crazy as a defensive player? Well, I'll tell you what. The guys that drive me crazy is guys like Bobby Douglas. You know what I mean? And uh, was, it, was it Young? Who was the kid from Grambling that ended up Doug, went? Doug, Doug Williams. Yeah. Oh, I remember hitting him one time. He was like 6'5", 240. I mean, I hit him. I just kind of moved him sideways a little bit. I go, oh, I had to jump on like I was wrestling him to try to get him to stop. I mean, those are the kind of quarterbacks you worry about, you know. But, yeah, I mean, some of the ones that Bob Greasy, I mean, he wasn't the biggest guy in the world, but he got the job done, you know. I mean, he. Uh, there was, you know, a lot of them. Terry Bradshaw, you know, and he was, uh, you know, he got the job done. But I mean, he wasn't physically the best in the world. But he got, he, he won Super Bowls. Yeah. So that's the key. So uh, for for Viking fans who are still down, let's give them something, an old memory that they'll be very happy to hear about. What was it like to play in a decade with the Vikings when the Green Bay Packers were absolutely awful? Because throughout the night, if you look back in the 70s, I remember watching those games, and they were competitive games against you guys. Oh, yeah. But for the most part, the Green Bay Packers spent the 70s as a doormat, and starting in 92, fans who started to watch the league at yeah. that point in time can't believe the Green Bay Packers were really awful for that long. They were down, but I'll tell you one thing. When you play within your division, boy... You could be 20 and 0, and you play the, the, Detroit, and they 0 and 20. It's always a battle, man. It was fighting. I'm telling you, we used to go to Milwaukee and play. And I remember laughing. I played in a golf tournament with those guys over at Rice Lake. And uh, I was talking to Ezra Johnson, and he says, he goes, Ricky, he goes, my chin still bleeding now sometimes. He used to cut me all the time. He says, how did you do that? I says, I wasn't able to tear it around. He goes, don't lie to me. I've got pictures of you doing it. <laughs> but they, they, they had some, the teams weren't the best, but, boy, they were competitive. And then we played them. You could never let up, and I enjoyed every minute of it. Like I tell those people, like the Packer fans, and I said, we all make mistakes. We will hold it against you. If you're a Packer fan, we're okay. We'll forgive you. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what. Uh, <laughs> MacArthur Lane and John Brockington were two horses, you know. And Gail Gillingham, God rest his soul, he passed away last, uh, about now almost two years ago. He was the best offensive guard I ever played against. Another guy named Blaine Nye out of Dallas was another one that that was one of the best. Uh, you know, uh, is the Packers? You know, had some had some good people. You know, they had. Some, I remember one time they had Barty Smith and uh, Anderson. Uh, another dynamic duel. And Barty Smith one time. I, I uh, had him right by the face mask. It was the middle screen. He was supposed to get the ball. I let go of his face mask just in time for the ball. I hit him right in the head. <laughs> but, I, you know, I grew up in Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, boy, you can tell Packer fans a lot, but you just can't tell them much, you know. You can always tell a Packer fan. They're good fans. Though. i got to admit, they have some great fans. And, uh, 
Until we moved to the Metrodome, we had the same kind of energy, too. But now it's back, I think. I think we've got people back just cheering and just likes the team and the players. And that comes from the coaching, too. Let's do the coaching. Uh, for the people who are just coming in out here in uh, the Beacon Public House, this Doug Sutherland and Ricky Young are with us, Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgad from 1500 ESPN, and we uh, very much appreciate the hospitality. They've br- they brought us food to eat as soon as we Yeah, this looks it. really good. So I, I don't mean to be speeding it up, but I am pretty hungry. Um, <laughs> I, I'm curious how ex-players look at the, the league now in terms of its future. It seems like it's a, it's a big conversation all the time where you have the concussion conversations and things like that, but you also have all the money that the league is still bringing in. Maybe the ratings were down a little bit, but not a whole lot. And there's a $500 million deal for Thursday night football and things like that. So where, where do you see it going? Do you have concerns, or do you think it's just going to stay at the top where it is now? Well, I, I, you kind of feel like it's got a lot of years left, though, I, I think. you know. But things always, when you're way up there at the top, you're always going to be some coming back down, catching back, coming back to earth a little bit. I, I think the league is set up now to... To, to continue to make money, I, I really do. They got uh, Goodell; he's uh, he's a money kind of guy. But they got so many games on now. It's like it used to be like you get a Sunday game, then the Monday night game. Now they got Thursday. The only night it's not on is Tuesday, I think. So it's uh, <laughs> it's kind of catching up with them a little bit. You know, a little bit oversaturation. But people are still running to this to watch the game. So it's like you know, it goes down, up and down. But I, they got to get over in Europe, I guess, over there playing the games in London now, trying to get some of those people uh, 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 to start watching. So it's uh, it, it's a lot of things that go on that's going to happen here. But I don't I don't think it's going to be no time soon, and it's going to go down. I, t- I tell you what, my take on it is, you know, is uh, kneeling for the game. You know, God bless the guys that have a. a across the bear but do it on your own time i mean it hurt the league it hurt attendance it hurt uh, uh viewership uh you know it was uh it was against you know the flag in the country and the the veterans uh, you know when bud was our coach we had to stand with a feet at a point five or at attention with our helmet in our left hand and not the chin strap Hanging up, hand over your heart, and don't be chewing gum or looking around. I mean, we were basically standing at attention, and we practiced that. You remember that? No, we practice, yeah, yeah, right in training camp. Yeah. We praised to practice. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's the way you wanted to look. We all, you know, you wanted all of our socks at the same height. I mean, you wanted us all looking like the same guys, one team, yes. not not a team full of uh, you know, individuals. Yes. You know, but I, I really think. Uh, kneeling for the national anthem, you know, really hurt. It, it hurt a lot of people, and uh, it makes people crazy. So. If a player had done that when Bud was coach, so let's say they tried to go sit down or kneel, what would Bud have done? Oh, he'd have God. cut him right on the spot. Right on the he spot, would have, yeah. He would have said, right okay, now, yeah. take, take your uniform off. You're not a part of this team anymore. And turn in your stuff. I don't want to see you when you get in the locker room. That's what he had done. I mean, oh, no there was a, I don't want to mention names, but there was a player that he, he basically cut on the spot like that. Um, and uh, that's the way it should be. You know, it, it should be a team. You know, if you want, you know, I'm not saying the, the causes are not there, and, uh, but to disrespect the flag, you know, do it on your own time, you know. 
Uh, you're hurting yeah. the, the game. And the way you get paid, too. So you manipulate your deal, the whole deal. Yeah. So, yeah, that should have been something that you have to be able to do, derive to, in other ways. You've got to be able to, you know, to, to figure it out some other ways. And I, you know, I, I respect the guys' uh, thought, what they were trying to say, but at the same time, you don't bring it to work, you know. But just say that, hey, get paid as much as you get paid, but when you get paid, Come to work. Don't come and stand around because this guy's on the second team getting paid more than you. You come, you show up, you sign it, you earn you honor that, and you come to work. Well, I think it's an interesting conversation, the different perspectives that you guys have as former players and the way that players look at it now. I mean, I think a lot of people just of this generation are seeking different ways to spread the different messages. I mean, if, even if you look at how players will use social media to do different yeah. things as well. So it's, it's, it's a very different world. But um, sports and activism have always kind of been intertwined with each other, right? Yeah. Like you mentioned Muhammad Ali earlier, and he wasn't just the guy who talked big before fights, that he also... Um, you know, went to prison over Vietnam and things like that. So I, I think it'll be interesting for me to see how the NFL, I don't want to even say handles it, but communicates it with the players. Because I, I don't think that the activism is something that's going to disappear, but I, I think you want to see them respect what the players are doing, but also understand where fans are coming from. Oh, yeah. Well, now they've got, they've got all kind of projects from the NFL donate money to, to all this cause, and they get some of the guys to go out in the community and do things with that money and, and try, to, uh, try to make it a little bit better in certain areas that, uh, you know, that they go into. And they're trying, to, they're trying to help. So, you know, that's all you can do. You can't ask for them or somebody to try to help you. So they are donating quite a bit of cash and stuff in different areas to try to, you know, build up trust with the police in the different neighborhoods. And that's the only way you're going to be able to do it. You've got to get the policemen that live in these areas. It's a lot easier for them, too. If they live in the area, the people know them. You go to church with them, you see them at the grocery store, they respect you. And if there's something going on, somebody will tell you what's going on. You don't have to come over there with guns drawn and, and yelling and screaming, get on your knees. Some people will tell you. I, I, just, I just know that. I grew up in Mobile, Alabama. Trust me. I come home and the cops sometime at my house, the mailman eating, eating dinner, lunch, and that's just the way it was. And so when they know you and you know them, that's a whole different respect and a different attitude on how things has to be done. Yeah. So I think that we can agree that we uh, know where they're coming from, at yeah. very least. Um, before we wrap up, and you guys have just been awesome, love this conversation, um, favorite Super Bowl, maybe one that you played in, maybe one that you watched, whichever one. Uh, and what you're looking forward most to to this Super Bowl. So that's a two-part question for both of you. Well, the one that I liked the most was when it kind of equaled itself out. In uh, 1969, Joe Namath beat the invincible Baltimore Colts. In 1969, I think it was. And I watched the game, and I watched it, and I thought, wow, what difference that's going to make. And then, what was it, 70? They went in and they broke up the, the different divisions, and, and the AFC got respect then. And that kind of was the boat that put the football league back on the map again. It's like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that it was going down after 58 game when the uh, Colts beat the Giants, and, and that was the, the game of games. But that, was, that Super Bowl kind of, I mean, put the Super Bowl on the map right now. And that's what I like best about it. I don't think I have a favorite Super Bowl. I even, even though play, <laughs> playing in three of them. If we had won one, that might have been it. I, I think say, it. it didn't have to be one of the ones you were in. <laughs> no, I mean, I, just enjoy. And I, I watch them with a big old bowl of chili. I always make my, my chili and a couple of cold beverages uh, 
to go along with it. Um, I, I enjoy them all. I, I really do. I, I don't have a, you know, the, even growing up, I didn't have a, a favorite team. You know, I, I probably the Vikings uh, later in life. Uh, well, when I was a teenager and then uh, in, uh, in high school and college, uh, but uh, you know, I, I I had more favorite. Uh, you know, I used to thought the, the fearsome foursome of the of the of the Rams, and uh, you know, maybe I watched uh, too many defensive linemen. <laughs> I remember I. When I, I used to be an offensive guard way back. Uh, actually, I was traded in Minnesota as an offensive guard. Played a whole year at middle linebacker, and then Bud called me in the office. He goes, "You know, our, you're our fourth middle linebacker, and we we drafted Jeff Seaman number one, and we got Lonnie Warwick and Carl Gersbach, and then you. You think you want to try a different position?" I go, "Yeah, okay, Bud. <laughs> Sounds like a good uh, idea." <laughs> the offensive line, so you know. But, uh, you know, growing up, I, I probably, uh, you know, I, I, some of my heroes were Dick Butkus and, and uh, Ray Nitschke, you know. And, uh, but I, I really don't think I had a favorite team. Everybody say, oh, you're probably a Packer fan when you're growing up. I go, no, not really. I, I was just a football fan. And I, I don't have a favorite Super Bowl. Hey, Doug, which of the three Super Bowl defeats is the toughest to take to this day? Which of the three Super Bowl defeats of the ones that you lost? Is there one that's the toughest to take? Uh, <laughs> Judd, that can't be how we end the podcast. I got one more for him. I got one more for him. But I'm just curious. But I'm just curious. I, they all hurt really bad. <laughs> and the last one against Pittsburgh, uh, I mean against Oakland, yep. you know, uh, I mean, we, uh, we fumbled on uh, about one the one-yard line. line. and Planahan, uh, right? Yeah. I mean, and when Bill Brown muffed the kick on the second half kickoff against uh, Pittsburgh, uh, that didn't help, mm-hmm. uh, you know. <laughs> but I got to tell you something. I didn't get to play on one. It's, that's got to be really tough just to get to the, the Super Bowl. So, I, you know, what? I a lot of respect for guys that got that they didn't win. I felt bad for John Elway for a lot of years and for the Vikings, too. It's just it's so it's tough, man, to get to that game. I, sure. We had some good teams. If uh, we get to the playoffs and you win a game and you think you're going and you lose a game, it's like, boom, it's over. So. That's a tough deal. So they've got a palace for a stadium. They're about to open up a practice facility in Egan that's going to be multi-million dollar oh. palace. They've got all all the new toys. They've got all of the salary, all of that. Did you guys have more fun than they're having now as far as your playing days, do you think? Oh, the camaraderie that we had was like we did everything together just about. I mean, nobody was above anybody else so when we did something even if it was bad or stupid we did it together so <laughs> we all got blamed for it it was it I was mean, a lot of fun i, I had I, tremendous fun i know fun. we had a lot more fun Friends. than they do now i mean they make a lot more money yeah, we they did, got but. vacation houses they go to all over the world so they <laughs> don't care they don't get to know each other we had to when you got bob lersom up for a roommate you know life's a life's a kick in the head with lurch? oh yeah oh yeah well we could oh, go yeah. another hour on the po- of a podcast oh. of lurch stories I yeah. can't tell you any of the stories. Don't but, uh, tell my stories. <laughs> Boy, we had fun. Uh, it was uh, uh, it was crazy. Uh, they couldn't have had as much fun as we did. No. 
Well, and uh, we have had fun spending this hour with you guys. It's been an honor to have this conversation with you. We appreciate you guys showing up so much. Uh, also, appreciate Graduate Hotel, the Beacon Public House inside the Graduate Hotel. Sprint for sponsoring us to be here. It's uh, just been a fantastic conversation. I hope you guys enjoy the Super Bowl. Thank you, well, gentlemen. I will. This has been good. Thank you guys for inviting us out. I had a good time. As long as I make a good batch of chili, I'll enjoy it. So. <laughs> a little bit of cheese on it, chili, maybe? <laughs> and, uh, and anybody inside, if they want to meet Doug or Ricky, feel free to come on up. Uh, and you can definitely yep, do that. Get on up here. So, <laughs> thanks so much to uh, everyone for, for coming, and thanks uh, to Judd and all of you for listening to the Purple Podcasts.